not true, but uh, shouldn't be. T- I'm I'm old, er. So, uh, John has a fever. He's uh, he's sick. He's been sick since uh, Thursday evening. He emailed me, and he's been running a fever about 100 to 102, and that's a pretty big fever for an adult. So uh, pray for him because he did text me last night and said he just didn't think he could make it. So that's why I'm standing here with you this morning. But welcome. I'm glad that you're here and uh, it's always my pleasure to welcome you on uh, to church and particularly on this Labor Day weekend. I was pleasantly surprised by the number of people we had in the first service. 98 on a Labor Day weekend is really good. So I'm pleased with that and I'm pleased that you're here this morning and that you've made this service a part of your day. If you're visiting with us, we do have a tear-off on our bulletin that has uh, information that we would like to have from you that would help us record your visit and know better how to serve you. If you have needs or concerns, you certainly can place them on there and put them in the offering plate or give them to uh, one of the deacons at the door or to me at the conclusion of the service. But I'm glad that you're here today. It's always a good day when we can be in the house of the Lord together, worshiping, and praising his name. The flowers to my left are given in memory of Annie King. Uh, uh, She passed away this past week. If you didn't know, most of our folks certainly are aware of that. And her funeral was Friday uh, at uh, Bennett's. And uh, uh, Annie was 99 years old. And had she made it to January, she would have been 100. And she was looking forward to being 100, but she didn't quite make it. Somebody told me that according to... um, Medicare rules or somebody's rules, I don't know who it was, that if you make it those six months, in that next six months, it counts. So we're going to count it as 100 for Annie. So uh, uh, anyway, we'll just use whoever's rule that was, right, and, and do it that way. But uh, she certainly was uh, a dear member of our church family in years past, and she hasn't been able to attend in quite some years because of her health. Uh, but we certainly will uh, miss her. The announcements for the week are listed in your bulletin. This is the week before we begin our Wednesday activities. So everything will begin a week from Wednesday. But you see the things that we will be doing. There will be nothing this afternoon uh, because of the Labor Day holiday. And the church office will be closed tomorrow in observance of Labor Day. And the worship team will meet on Tuesday at 6.30. On Wednesday, we will have our Bible study and prayer at 11, youth at 6, and the adult choir Uh, We'll get back into the swing of things after having the month of August off beginning uh, at 7 o'clock on Wednesday. Uh, I think that's all the announcements that I have, and I think Elf Karen has an announcement for us. Merry Christmas. September is here, and that is certainly the time for fall, and closer till time that we'll be packing those shoe boxes. I hope you, well, my goodness, and I, and I realize that this hat does not go with this outfit, I, I do know that. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed collecting things all year. And I hope that every time you've gone shopping to bring something to church for the, for the shoeboxes, you've also bought that same item for your own shoebox that you'll still be packing at home because it's still a blessing to pack that individual box or boxes at, at your own home involving your children and um, including that note and that picture and, and all of that good stuff. 
How many boxes are we going to do this year? 200, 313, 500. We did 340 last year. Our goal was 387. Are we going to pack them fuller and better? How can we do that? What do we still need? We still need toothbrushes. We still need toothpaste. I read a story about a boy who lived in an orphanage in Russia. The older kids always took any gifts that were given to the little kids. So when he got his shoebox and there was a tube of toothpaste in it, he gave his toothpaste to one of the older girls who he could trust to keep it for him. It was that treasured, and he only asked her for it occasionally where he would use just a drop of toothpaste because it was appreciated. It was treasured. Also this month, let's collect playing cards. Now, we don't want the expensive ones, the $2.97 ones from Walmart. Let's go to the Dollar Tree and get them for just a dollar. And you know, all ages, boys and girls like to play cards, whether it's go fish or look at the numbers or make a design on the floor or, or play something bigger. Playing cards is always a fun thing. And we are going to collect chapstick or lip balm, not lip gloss, not medicated, just regular old lip balm chapstick. And again, let's find it for a dollar. That will help pack our boxes fuller and better. And now, oh, I've gotten carried away, but let me give, tell you one more thing. One of our dear ladies at, in um, this church has made a number of these bags. She has a surging machine, so they're done very nicely. And all she would like help with is folding it over and doing a straight seam and inserting the, the drawstring. Wouldn't any child love one of these? They only take a quarter yard of material. Maybe you have some material you'd like to donate, or maybe you would like to take some bags home and do that one little stitch and insert the uh, drawstring. And wouldn't that be a useful, acute, and an appreciated gift found in your shoebox that we will be packing soon? Fall is here. Time to pack. Be a blessing by packing an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. Thank you. Around here a long time, but we have some new people, which we're always delighted to have. And uh, I'm probably one of the few that is left here from the original group that started um, uh, West Hill Baptist Church in 1960, back in the old farmhouse that was back here. And we uh, stayed as, as uh, West Hill for a few years, and then uh, Venable Street, which was, and we were one of the newest churches in the Richmond area. Venable was one of the oldest churches in the Richmond area, and they needed to make a move because they lived in, they were in a section of town they didn't feel very safe. So the word came up about a merger, and everybody says, merger? You know, why would we want to do that? Well, that was the best thing that could ever happen to both churches 
And I said, um, because we started uh, West Hill in 1960, and then in 1977, we merged and became Mechanicsville Baptist. And it wasn't long that we weren't even thinking about who was Venable and who was Mechanics, uh, was West Hill, because we all became one, except we always teased the Venable people that all the old ones came from Venable. The young ones came from West Hill. <laughs> but that merger was one of the sweetest things I think could ever happen to two churches. So anyway, now we're looking uh, at our Family Life Center, and didn't we know we need, in 1981, um, we had felt a need for more Sunday school space and fellowship space here at the church. So as the decision came, we decided to build the Family Life Center, which was big enough and open enough to meet both needs. Each family was asked to make a financial pledge for three years. As I was cleaning out a desk drawer recently, I came across a letter from the church showing our commitment. I don't clean out very often because this letter was 1981. <laughs> we stepped out on a mission of faith then and like the one we are now committing to in order to repair this building. Through the years, we have used the building for so many activities, church suppers, basketball games, wedding receptions, lock-ins and other youth activities, serving meals to a family after death of a loved one, as well as, as, well as hosting Caritas for a week each year, and packing 20 to 25,000 meals when we do stop hunger now, providing space for weekly child care, and the list goes on and on to include the space for the worship service, well, to include the space for worship services we have at 830 in, in that building. I have been very touched by the response to the need for the funds to repair that building and have faith that God will see us through this as he did in 1981. God just asks ask that we be faithful and he will do the rest. I look forward to the Family Life Center continuing to serve in so many ways as it has in the past.
pray. Gracious and loving God, as we come before you on this day, a day that is given to us because of your grace, we are grateful for the opportunity to worship, to praise your name, and to listen for a word from you. Accept our praise and our adoration. We pray, Father, that you will draw near to us as we seek to draw near to you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let us continue our worship together now as we stand and sing hymn number 350, The Church's One Foundation. in humanness nailed upon a tree the son of God bore punishment for me forsaken you cried out the father turned away the son of God bore wrath for me 
the grave, disarming death you stand, death you reign with power in your hand, death where is thy sting, the soul will never die, eternity Jesus in the upper room when he was speaking with his disciples wanted to give them something to hold on to. Something that would give them a remembrance of him. Something that would call them back to an understanding of the great sacrifice that was made on their behalf and on ours. So that every time we took the bread and the cup, we would be reminded of the price paid for our sins. And so Jesus, when he had taken bread and broken it and blessed it, he gave it to his disciples and said, For as often as you eat this, remember me. After they had eaten, he took the cup, 
and elevated its meaning to something far more significant than it had ever been before when he equated it with his shed blood, his very life for our forgiveness. And he said, for as often as you drink it, remember me. Paul went on to say, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death, but with this hope until he comes. Let us continue now our worship and rejoicing as we stand and sing hymn number 406, The Solid Rock. is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest rain, but only lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we praise you for your goodness to our nation, giving us blessings far beyond what we deserve. We pray for our missionaries, both at home and abroad, that you will continue to bless their ministry and use them to make an eternal difference in the lives of many. Father, help us to remember that when we give, we serve God. Now bless these gifts you are about to receive and use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Shall we pray? Our Lord and our God, as we bow in your presence, we ask that you bless our time around your word. That as we open your word and read words of truth, that our hearts might be challenged, our lives might be touched, so that we could share the good news. We're thankful, Father, for this church and for this time together. We pray for our church family who is facing illness, recovering from surgery and illness. We pray for John, that the fever will leave him and he soon will be feeling better. We're grateful, Father, that when we pray, we know that you hear our prayers. And so I pray, Father, that you will hear the prayers of your people at this moment. For we make this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 23. <clears throat> When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. Excitement prevails as a family chooses the site on which to build their new home or to purchase a home. In James Mishner's Chesapeake, he describes the early settlers in the Chesapeake Bay area as people who staked out their land and began farming when they were prosperous enough to assure their continuation on the land, they chose the most advantageous sites for building their homes, which later became the great mansions of the region. We know the parable that Jesus told in the scripture of the wise man who built his house upon the rock, and when the rains came and the wind beat against it, the house stood strong. But we also know the other side of that, We know the foolish man who built his house upon the sand and when the rains came and beat upon the house, great was 
its fall. In our scripture text today, we find Jesus at about the midway point in his ministry. He had led his disciples for perhaps a year and a half, guiding and teaching them. Now he announces that he is ready to build his church. Today's sermon deals with the foundation of that church. Jesus wants us to move beyond the wrong answers about who he is and what his purpose is about. There were many assessments of Jesus ranging from intense fear and hatred to love and adoration. Jesus' first question brought out some of the current assessments. By many, Jesus was seen to be a prophet. Some saw him as John the Baptist brought back to life or a second John the Baptist. Although Jesus was seen in the role of prophet and accepted that designation, this term was not adequate for him. Jesus could not build on that alone and he saw himself in a higher role. He saw himself above Moses, above John, and above all the prophets. This is reflected not only in what he said, but especially in the promises he made, in the demands he made, and in every manner in which he moved among people. Jesus asked the crucial question. Jesus asked the one question that is always preliminary to involvement in the church. Who do people say the Son of Man is? In the tangle of competing religions and sects today, the question remains, who do you say Jesus Christ is? In this question, the entire Christian faith is focused. One cannot become a Christian nor continue as a Christian until answering this question correctly. Who is Jesus? Some wrong answers as to who he is always surface. The disciples repeated what they had heard others say. They told Jesus that some thought he was John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah or some other prophet. In our own day, we hear the same general answers. Some say that Jesus is the greatest religious teacher who ever lived. Others pay him tribute for his ethical standards. Still others give him credit for the love he exhibited in his life. But what others say about Jesus and how they define him is not enough. Jesus made that abundantly clear in this passage of Scripture. He made it clear that what others say about Jesus may be part of the truth, but it may not be the whole truth. There are all kinds of people that talk about Jesus. There are all kinds of people who say things about Jesus, but many of the things that they say, if you listen very carefully, are not enough. What the people were saying about Jesus in that day was not enough. Jesus wanted to take them beyond their human understanding where Peter ended back up in the cycle of this story. He wanted to take them beyond what others were saying about Jesus to what they knew about Jesus in their heart. For the question becomes personal and individual. Jesus restated the question in the way that we have to face it. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Is a question directed to each of us personally because the relationship we have with Jesus Christ is a personal relationship. 
you have to come to terms with who Jesus is in your life before you can be a part of his church. Because people who answer that question correctly are the people who make up the body of believers. It's important to answer the question and to answer it personally, not based on what someone else has said, but what on what on what God has taught you. Jesus spoke of the foundation of the church as being the rock. A reflection on knowledge about Jesus is seen here. Enlisting all the conjectures of the people, the wrong answers, the disciples had gone through a helpful process to arrive at the correct answer. Sometimes it's good to see what the wrong answers are so that you can come to terms with what the right answer is. Many of you have an understanding of who Jesus is and you know when you hear something wrong about Jesus what, how you are to respond. You are to respond in the negative because you know there is more to Jesus than what others are saying about Him. We have all heard many things about Jesus, some which are true. The process of hearing the gospel and various interpretations is part of the process to faith. However, we must evaluate that information carefully. Sometimes the wrong answers lead to realizing the right answer. So we see that as the scripture progresses in this story that Simon Peter's confession is the one that Jesus accepted. Peter did more than answer the question correctly. Keep that in mind. He confessed his own faith in Jesus Christ as son of the living God. This confession is always more than the correct doctrinal answer to a religious question. It includes a personal element of belief on the part of the person making the confession. Jesus could not build the church until there were people who could make this honest confession. Much like the man who encountered Jesus outside of the temple when he was questioned later. Remember what he said when asked about Jesus. I don't know exactly who this man is, but the one thing I do know about him is I was blind and now I see. The disciples were blind and Jesus could open their eyes to the truth of the spiritual. We understand it includes a personal element of belief on the part of the person making the confession. Jesus accepted Peter's confession. The building of the church requires more than someone's mere confession. It requires acceptance of the confession. Jesus said, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus' acceptance of Peter is as important as Peter's confession of Jesus. Faith is a two-way commitment. It is not just a person's attitude of trust in God. It involves God's acceptance of our faith in Him. God knows our hearts. He knows what we put our faith in. If we are putting our faith in what others are saying about Jesus, He can see through that. Who do you say that Jesus is? The right answer was reached in the right way. We all probably remember from our early school years in math that our teacher was quite concerned that we found the right answer by working the problem in the right way. I came along in the calculator time, just barely in the calculator time, but we did have calculators in school when I was there and we were encouraged not to use them. 
And the reason we were encouraged not to use them is, is because we needed to be able to understand how we solve the problem. It was not enough to guess the answer or to get the answer from somebody else or from the back of the math book the way they were in ours. The point of math was to learn how to solve the problem so that we could do it again, you see. The answer wasn't nearly as important as how you got to the answer. And isn't that the way it is in our walk with Christ? The answer indeed is important, but how we get to that answer is as important as the answer itself because it says a lot about who we are in relationship to Christ in faith. In this instance, Peter not only gave the right answer to Jesus' question, but he also arrived at that answer in the right way. Please note that Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This marvelous reply shows the very nature of Christian revelation. Jesus had been teaching the disciples for many months. They knew the answers in the way that we know of an entirely different nature. Jesus indicated that something had been happening in Peter's heart and mind. Something was changing in him as he encountered Christ on a daily basis. Sometimes we refer to this kind of incident as the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God revealed the answer of who Christ was to Peter. And God will reveal that answer to us. We have to seek him as he has sought us. Christ tells us that he is the builder of the church. The church which Jesus promised to build is his church. Church translates the Greek ecclesia, which in turn translates the Hebrew term kahal in the Latin Vulgate. Both Hebrew and Greek words literally designate a calling out. Kahal can designate Israel as a whole or assembled congregation. And ecclesia can designate the church in a universal sense or in a local assembly. God calls us out in Christ to build His church. Jesus was calling His disciples out on that day, asking them who they thought He was. Jesus is the builder because He has revealed God to humanity. Jesus' statement, this was not revealed to you by man, means that Peter did not reach his conclusion as one acquires other information. Peter's confession of faith was not simply an event in history. It was a lesson in life. Faith is as deep as life itself. It goes beyond the relatively shallow depth of learning. When Jesus said that no man but rather his Father in heaven had revealed the answer to Jesus' identity, he implied that God had been moving in Peter's heart and mind. This is exactly what happens when we are in church listening to God's word. God is working in our lives, teaching us, struggling with us, helping us come to the right conclusions in the right way. Jesus is the builder of the church because we put our faith in Him. Since Jesus reveals God the Father to us, when we confess our faith in Him, the foundation is laid on which we can build our lives into the family of God. Jesus is the builder because we cannot do it by ourselves. 
We often misunderstand the church. We think we can organize it or build it by our own efforts. The true church is dependent on Jesus Christ. We're really good at organizing. We've learned to do that for centuries. But organization is not enough. If the church is simply an organization organized by people, then it's no more than a civic club. There is something that gives the church power, and that is Jesus Christ. When we focus on Christ and allow Him to teach us and to guide us, the church will become what He called it to be. The building of Christ we see happens in the church. It is always a group of people. Too often we think of the church as a building or place. Instead, the church is an assembly of believers. This is a very lonely place during the week. If you're not here, it's really not the church. The church is a beautiful place. It is a building that's built to the glory of God and we should reverence it. But the church is not the church until we're here. The church is made up of believers in Jesus Christ. I've been down here all hours of the day and all hours of the night. Sometimes I frighten myself uh, in here. But it's nothing quite like, and I told them this in the first service, it's nothing quite like coming back into this room, this sanctuary, about an hour or so after everybody's left. Because I can still smell you. Now, you smell good. It's a good smell, so don't get offended by what I said. You know somebody has been here. But then you come back a little bit later, and you would never know that anybody had been in here because the church has dispersed. And we should be that fragrance. I didn't finish this thought in the first service. We should be that fragrance in the world. But we learn it here. We want to hear what others say about Jesus, but we want to know Jesus in our hearts. It is a fellowship of Christians. It is truly the church when those who compose it are individual believers in Jesus Christ. People cannot inherit their parents' faith. At some point, they must choose to accept Jesus or reject Him. The church is a community of believers. What others say about Jesus does not matter on Judgment Day. It is a community of faithful believers. They are in the process of growing in faith. Their ultimate goal is to be completely faithful. Final judgment will be voiced in the words, You have been faithful. Christ is willing to take sinners into His church through the doors of forgiveness because in the church He can make faithful persons of all of us. It is a victorious body. The expression, the gates of hell will not overcome it, portrays the church as a militant body pursuing its mission. The church storms the gates of death and emerges victorious. It snatches people from the jaws of eternal death and helps them become children of God, destined to live with Him forever. No victory can be greater than this. It is our responsibility in the church to reach out to other people. We don't dole out grace. We simply give witness to it and allow God to work in other people's lives as He has worked in yours. 
Often in the church we cringe before the challenge that lies ahead of us. We are surrounded by a culture that scares us. We must come to terms with that culture and influence it with life, the life-changing power of God's Word. The church was intended to change the culture, not to be changed by it. The church that Christ built is a group of loving people determined that all people know God's love. We have a responsibility. It is a forgiving body. Jesus' promise to Peter about binding and loosing has to do with forgiveness of sins. It is a mistake to believe that the church in some institutional sense can decide who can be saved and who can be lost. Rather, it means that the church by its faithfulness or unfaithfulness in proclaiming the gospel literally opens or leaves closed the doors to heaven. When the church is faithful to its task, it opens the doors of the church by offering Jesus' forgiveness to others. We have a responsibility to open the doors of faith to others. And if we're not fulfilling our obligation, then we have closed the door and locked it. question raised and answered at Caesarea Philippi had to do with the identity of Jesus. Having accepted the disciples' confession of Him as the Christ, Jesus moved next to indicate the way which was His and theirs to follow. Matthew records that Jesus three times declared that it would be the way of the cross. The way of utter self-denial and self-giving. The deepest paradox of the gospel is set forth here. One saves life only by losing it. He lives only by dying. The one true triumph is through the cross. But we can never get there until we personally answer the question, Who is Jesus? To you. The story's been told of a farmer who was trying to teach his son how to plow a straight line, a straight furrow. After the horse had been hitched up and everything was ready, he told the boy to keep an eye on some object at the other end of the field and aim straight toward it. Do you see the cow lying down over there, he asked. Keep your eye on her and plow straight ahead. The boy started plowing. And the farmer went about his chores. When he returned a little later to see what progress had been made, he was shocked to find, instead of a straight row, something that looked more like a question mark. The boy had obeyed his instructions. You know what's coming. Trouble was, the cow moved. Jesus is an object that will not move. He is the foundation of our faith, the faithful rock who never moves, never changes in his love for us. We can be sure that if we set our eyes on him, our path will be straight. When the disciples arrived at the confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God, Jesus was ready to establish his church on the confession and all that it entailed. You can become a true part of the church only when you receive Christ by faith as your Savior and Lord. Invite Him to enter your life today. Answer the question He asks. Who do you say I am? Shall we pray? Oh, Father, we're grateful for these challenging words from our Savior. 
for he has shown us so clearly and so deliberately how we must face who he is if we are to be his church. Speak to our hearts. Allow the Spirit to lead us. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our hymn of invitation is Room at the Cross. When we answer the question as to who Jesus is, it entails the cross. Ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is as we stand and sing? Thank you for being here on this Labor Day weekend. I'm pleasantly surprised by the number of people that are here. Uh, I know that lots of folks like to go to the river, but you know there was a tropical storm that wanted to go to the river this weekend, and uh, it wreaked a little havoc down there, didn't it? But I'm glad that you're here this morning. This is Benevolence Sunday. We always take our benevolence offering the first Sunday of the month uh, when we have communion. 
uh, reminds us that there are great needs in our community that need to be met. And if you are interested in participating in that offering, there will be uh, deacons at the door to receive that offering. So just wanted to remind you of that. I also have something I need to tell you, uh, an announcement. Uh, Tori Kennedy, who's on my left, your right, has uh, uh, decided the Lord has led her to resign her position as our first uh, uh, service music coordinator. So she uh, is giving that job up at the end of the, or that ministry, let me say it that way, at the end of the month. And uh, we uh, will wish her well and pray for her as she takes on new endeavors. Uh, so uh, I wanted to share that with you this morning. And we will continue our first service. And uh, we will work to make sure that uh, the music is still there. I said in the first service that uh, Tori and Chris Fowler uh, were very instrumental in getting that service started. And when Chris left, Tori kept it going. And we have appreciated it very much. So someone can come now and build on what... Tori and Chris started so many years ago, and it is a good service. It's a thriving service. Uh, we uh, are enjoying it very much, and we will miss Tori. But uh, I asked her to come so I could share that with you. She's going to write a little bit more about her heartfelt feelings about uh, giving this ministry up in our newsletter, and so you'll be able to read her words there. But uh, she's going to be here in the front if you'd like to greet her this morning and uh, uh, wish her well and uh, tell her that... Uh, you're grateful for what she has done for this church for so many years. And uh, I want to say I thank her very much uh, for being a part of that ministry. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart on this day given to us by your grace, may we take that grace and share it in the world. But first, Father, may we answer the question, 